Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me once again is the glorious League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going pretty good. I'm uh, very excited for this episode because we love International Rugby League. We certainly do. We certainly do. And um, while most people in the Southern Hemisphere think that there's three, three big games on this weekend, all on Saturday at Eden Park, there's actually five, and we're going to have a chat about all of them. Yeah, because we do it all. We're like, we stay up and watch Spain take on Ireland. In 105 minutes at 2, 2 a.m. till 4 a.m. Longest test match in history, probably, eh? That's right. That, that didn't go into extra time. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how committed we are. It might be the longest sporting contest that's not gone into extra time, actually. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Friday night at 7.30 p.m. in London at London time is mm. Greece taking on Scotland. So in Australia, this will be on at 6.30 a.m. Saturday morning. Um, I believe it'll be live streamed on YouTube. So um, you can check that out if you want to get up early and, and watch a bit of uh, international footy on Saturday before the big triple header takes place. Um, Scotland last week absolutely belted the snot out of Serbia, 86-0. Mm. Um, in a bit of a fiery game, Serbia had three players Simbin in that match. Uh, and Scotland just capitalised, especially in the first half, and racked up a half century by half time. Um, so, and they'll be taking on Greece, who have been punching well above their weight for quite a while. So this looks like it's going to be a pretty good game. Yeah, does this, uh, I don't know if this has any implications on who will actually make the World Cup. Um, yeah, it's, it's part of that process, it's part of the okay. World Cup qualifying. Well, that's good. Well, hopefully, you know, Greece does well in this one. Um, they're playing in neutral territory, haha, in London. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting. I would have watched it if I was awake at that time. But that's like, I mean, 6.30 a.m., that's a good six hours before I normally wake up. <laughs> it's about two and a half hours after I go to sleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to see if I can see if I can watch that one anyway. Mm. Don't know how I'm going to do yeah. that, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and then we've got the big triple header at, at Eden Park, and we start with uh, is it Samoa versus Fiji? Yep, yep. Samoa it is. versus Fiji. That kicks off at twenty past twelve um, In, uh, at Eden that's Park, New Zealand. Oh, that's Australian time, is it? Um, it is too. So well, that's two two twenty local time, mid midday Australia time. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, um yeah, Fiji Fiji need to step up in this game. They were really disappointing in the World Nines. Um, and this Samoan team, that there's a couple of small changes that have been made to this Samoan team. Jerome Luai, um, Penrith youngster, very good player. He just has added that little bit of class around the halves. And it's something that Tonga lacks, but Samoa having it, and it, I think it's going to bring Samoa up towards Tonga in terms of it's going to make Samoa very, very difficult to play against. Um, I feel as though Samoa should win this one. What do you reckon? I'm Yeah, I'm leaning towards Samoa in this one. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sold on that spine that, that Fiji has. Mm. Um, Lovadu has played a lot of games in in lower grades, and he's been pretty solid playing for Fiji. But 
Brandon Wakeham. He had one good game, I guess, um, early this year for Fiji. Um, he's been sitting in the lower grades for the Bulldogs for most of the year. I think he played a few games at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kevin Naguama at 5'8". Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a worry. I don't know that he's got A, a kicking game and B, a passing game. <laughs> Which which makes things a bit difficult for for being a half, and I think when you've got that as an issue, um, puts a lot more pressure on Wakeham. Uh, he's only a young half, like Luai is for Samoa, um, but not much support there. Uh, Luai's got a few seasoned season pros, I guess, in Daniel Levi at hooker, who's the the Knights rake, mm-hmm. and um, Sharks youngster Ronaldo Milatalo at fullback. He's going to be pretty good there, so. He's got a few options around him, but yeah, I just think Wakeham's kind of he's going to be a big target. I think a lot of the a lot of the play is going to have to come through him. Yeah, and shut him down, and and the, it's going to shut down for as best as you can the Fijian team. Um, their back line looks like their outside backs are going to be very dangerous because you know the Fijian outside backs always are. But yeah, I just think there's too much class in this Samoan lineup. Um, and they look, you know, in the past, Samara's named lineups, and it's looked like a bit of a thrown-together side. This looks like a really good team, and it's that's a big difference. Yeah, and they've got a they've got a big bench. Yeah, there's some big boys on that bench, um, and big boys with plenty of experience. Uh, the other thing I've seen there that could be a strike for Fiji mm-hmm. is kick out but he's going to need support he's going to need ball runners coming off him on both sides of him you can't just be you know here's the ball do something with it yeah because uh, that's not that's not how you get the most out of him yeah and unfortunately that's how he's being used for the most part for i mean even for the panthers that's what they did with him um he's just got a powerful running style and those massively long arms he can get him out and get an offload away at any mm-hmm. time Mm-hmm. He's such an an awkward body to try and stop. So you, he's the sort of person you want to throw in there and just have people running off him. And I'm hoping Fiji's been doing a lot of plays around that and not just dish the ball to him and say, your turn. Well, the, I mean, if I was looking at this Fijian lineup and they obviously want to go and use their back line as much as possible. But I think the way that you win it is right up through the middle of the, the field and you try and work over Samoa up at the middle of the field, get them around the ruck and things like that. And I would be using Kikau as a just a flat-out prop. I would be like, look, I want you playing in the middle third of the field. I don't want you out wide and trying to get players running off him because, it, you know, we know Fiji, they make a break, they're gone, right? And yeah. if you do it up the middle of the field, it's you know it's devastating. Um, that's what I'd be aiming for, and it might also get, take a bit of pressure off their halves as well if they do that. But you know, I, we'll see what happens. I really do. I think Samoa could put a little bit of a score on them. Um, I think they will, and that's the thing is, Kiko may actually have no option but to play a bit of prop because the the Fijians have a reasonably inexperienced. Um, bench when it comes mm-hmm. to NRL exposure. Mm-hmm. Whereas pretty much everyone in that um in that Samoan side are you know, regular NRL players. Yeah, and good ones too. 
Mm. I mean, like Martin Tapao, he's fantastic. Junior Paulo, he's not going to have any worries at this level. Um, be interesting to see how he goes against his teammate, Kane Evans. Kane Evans had a really good second half of the year for the Parramatta Eels. I was really impressed with that. Um, but, yeah, just a little bit too much class in this Samoan, Samoan team. I think so, too. It'll be interesting to see how um, Joey Lua and Brian Tuo link up. <laughs> yeah. Because they'll, well, they'll be up against um, Lumi Lumi and Milne, who are quite a bit more experienced. Um, I'll tell you what, Tuo, he was... Uh, Fantastic in the World Nines. Absolutely unbelievable. Certainly was. Now, next game is uh, the second test between Great Britain and New Zealand. And that'll be at 3 p.m. Australian time, 5 p.m. over there in New Zealand. And both sides have have rung in a few changes. Mm -hmm. So for New Zealand... In comes Bailey Simonson, Joseph Tappany, Kevin Proctor, Kieran Foran, and Cody Nicarima, and out goes Braden Hamlin-Yoweli, Brandon Smith, and Sean Johnson. Uh, for Great Britain, Daryl Clark, George Williams, Jack Hughes, Jake Connor, and Joe Philbin come in, and Lachlan Coote, Luke Thompson, the best prop in the world, and Oliver Gildart are out. Looking at these two teams, New Zealand should wipe the floor with Great Britain in this game. Um they're better right across the park. Like I don't really see any position where Great Britain can say that they're obviously better than uh, than New Zealand. Um, losing Brandon Smith is a is a blow because he's such a good player. Um, I don't know how Jerome Hughes is going to go at hooker, but he's you know he's a bit of a utility player. He won't make a, a meal of it. But yeah, just like even their bench is so much better and. Uh, you know, they've got Nick Arima on the bench. He'll go out. He'll go pretty well at hooker. I wonder if they've just named Hughes in there to, just to start the game, get the rough stuff out of the way, and then bring Nick Arima on after 20 minutes or so. Yeah, it is an interesting one. I don't know what other options they had, though, there, other than, well, I suppose they probably would have liked to have gone with Danny Levi, but he's playing for uh, Samoa. So that kind of knocked that idea on the head, I guess. That would be the only area in this game where the the British have the upper hand. Is I'd take Hodgson over the Hughes Nicarima combination, whatever they're going to do, because they just they've just barely played at hooker. Yeah, and Hodgson played was probably one of Great Britain's better players in that game that they got you know mm. annihilated in by Tonga. Um, yeah, and he'll he'll be way more settled than having that switch going on there. Yeah. Um, um, the England, the Great Britain side is better than the last game, but it's not better by enough. I feel. You know the the big problem they're running into this week is that this is a Kiwi team that's come off of having a big loss against Australia. They've faced the best team in the world. And in that first half, they weren't too bad. Second half, they were terrible. Um, they made some changes that they needed to make. Getting rid of Sean Johnson, bringing in Karen Foran is fantastic. That's going to really make their attack a lot better. And I feel as I just feel as though they're going to go through this British team like a buzzsaw. Um, and if they do that, Great Britain's tour is off to about the worst start that I can remember any tour being off to. Maybe, remember there was a tour that New Zealand did, I think it was about 10 years ago now, and the whole tour was just a disaster. I think Gary Freeman was the coach. Do you remember that one? 
When was that one? Uh, it was 2002. You know what? Maybe it was that. Because there was one of them when Gary Freeman was the coach. And, man, I, f- I felt like it was later than that, though. I feel like it was later than that. Hmm. It's 2005. No, I think you're probably right, hey? Oh, man, um, I'm, get, I'm getting I'm, old. I don't really feel like that long ago. I'm only I'm only guessing. Um, well, anyway, I'll see if I can it, find out for you while you talk. <laughs> yeah, it was the one that Gary Freeman took over, and basically the whole tour was an absolute disaster. Um, and yeah, that like if Great Britain, I don't think can afford to have that because they haven't got the ability to refresh their their squad with new players and new ideas like New Zealand had to after that terrible series loss. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, that's why they play the test matches. But, yeah, I look at these two teams, and it just seems like two teams from two very different levels of the International Rugby League. Yeah. Um, I think the the New Zealand backline looks um, about the best it has done in quite a while, to be honest. Yeah, so do I. I mean... Chance Nickel Clogstad, he's a fantastic player. Uh, Joseph Manu is one of the best centers in the world. Roger Chilvasa Shek is one of the top three players in the world. And I mean, if he if he gets going against this Britain team, they're stuffed. Uh, even Jermaine Asako, he's a fantastic player. Benji Marshall, we know what he can do. Kieran Foran had a really good second half of the year in the NRL. And I mean, it's chalk and cheese when you look at them lined up against Great Britain. Um, there's not a single player in that British backline that you'd swap for out of the Kiwis team for. Like, man, they could be on a hiding to nothing in this game. I'm wondering what the the British do regarding the halves. I'm I'm not giving up on Hastings. I think part of the problem he had in the first match is that that was possibly the biggest game of his career. So you can probably expect that there's going to be some nerves there. You know, he's never yeah. played test footy. Um, I don't even know if he's played finals footy, to be honest. So that would have been a huge, huge moment for him. And that yeah. would have overawed him a fair bit. I'm wondering whether they would have been better off with Lomax in the halves. But then you've got to wonder what, what you do at fullback. I'm not too sure who they, who they could put back there. I guess you could chuck... I mean, Hardacre could go back there, but then who do you put you in could, at centre? Well, you put... Hmm, that's the thing, though. Most of their back rowers can play at centre because that's all they do. I'd probably put Josh Jones there. I wonder... You know what? I would... Looking at this lineup, I mean, I don't know why... They haven't brought in um, Sam Tompkins into this squad. Yeah, like he's got he's got that touch of play playmaking class that they could really use. Um, I don't know that I'd have him at fullback, but even if you, I mean, I would rather have Gareth Widdop and Tompkins in the halves even, and, and rather than have Hastings there. Mm-hmm. And like Hastings last week, to be fair, he's playing behind a back line, a, a forward pack that was going backwards. Yeah. And, and no one was going to do anything with that in, as a half. But even so, he, he wasn't great. And I I just worry that his level is Super League. And some, some players, that is, it's fine. He's a professional footy player. Like, 
there's nothing wrong with your level being Super League. There's plenty of players that they have never even got to that sort of level. But I wonder yeah. if that's his level. Because the other thing that's I think might be a concern for Hastings in regarding his place in this side mm-hmm. is George Williams is on the extended bench. Mm. And given that Williams has played plenty of test footy before, I think I think the lineup would look better if he was there instead of Hastings. Maybe put Hastings on the bench as a bit of a, an impact player. But mm. I think I think having Williams starting would be a better idea. Because they're going to yeah. need whatever help they can get. And they need to have playmakers who are experienced and comfortable in this environment. And um, the problem is if you've got Hastings being overawed and, and being shut down, then that's a lot of pressure being thrown on Widdop. That's true. I wonder, you know, when they get these players that do switch to play for Great Britain and they've done it because they've played in Super League, I wonder if they sit down with these players and the players say, look, I will make the switch, but I'm not going to do it for a one-off test. I want to do it to be guaranteed that I'm going to play a handful of tests at least. And so I wonder if there's, and it wouldn't be a written down contract, but I wonder if there's some sort of contractual thing where, you know, somebody has to say to Wayne Bennett, you know, we've brought in Hastings. We'd love you to give him enough of a chance to see if he's going to be the one of the future. Uh, because, you know, he's made the commitment to us and we kind of want to make a commitment to him. I wonder if they can apply that sort of um, pressure or give that sort of directive to someone like Bennett. I mean... I, it, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's just something that sticks out to me is being, he looks, he doesn't look like he should be in that, at least not in the starting 13. I'd be happy if, I think he'd probably work if he's put on the on the, on the bench, mm-hmm. play a role similar to what Nick is going to play. And you could have him to sort of counter that a bit. Um, I, I just think that the British halves need, they need to be the best possible combination they can have. So that yeah. if their forwards are getting dominated, at least you've got two halves who can try and, you know, counter it a little bit and look after one another. Whereas if you've got one of the halves getting overawed and punished, then Widdop is just going to get caned. Especially when you've yeah. got um, Nakora in the second row who has learned from Luke Lewis how to shut down opposition halves. And he does that very well. Yeah, he's only got um, one half to chase after. Poor. Yeah, and... Like, Gareth Widdop hasn't played much footy this year either. And, no. like, Widdop's a great player. There's nothing wrong with Gareth Widdop as a half. But the the terrible thing is, like, look at what we're talking about in terms of the, the his halves partner. And they're drawing from England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. And Australia. Mm. <laughs> and this is what we're talking about. Like, to get to this point is really scary for British Rugby League. Um yeah, it's going to be an interesting test match. They need a massive turnaround from last week. And it's going to be really interesting to see the almost the form guide difference between like how Great Britain went last week against Tonga and how this New Zealand team went against Australia. If this New Zealand team absolutely annihilates Great Britain, you know, it, it's it makes you wonder how it's going to line up. But then again, for the next game, we'll find out quite a lot about that. So I, yes, I'm really looking forward to it. 
The next game, the final match of the triple header is the Tonga. I think they're still called the Tonga Invitational. Um, I think so, the, yeah. I think they've got that sorted. The, the so apparently the um court the court action is not going through. So I think what's going to happen is we will see a newly formed Tongan Rugby League at the directive of basically the Tongan government. And I wouldn't be shocked if even next week, if instead of called Tonga Internet Invitational, they're just called Tonga again. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably what's going to happen as well. Mm. But uh, for the time being, they're called Tonga Invitational. They're taking on Australia. It is still a official test match. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be at 7.40 p.m. local time, 5.40 p.m. Australian time. Um, the Tongan team has got a few changes. Ata Hingano, Joe Afahengawi, Katoni Staggs, Tavita Pengai Jr. and Tavita Totola all come in on the, ex- you know, pretty much on the extended bench. Um, and Australia's got Cameron Murray, Victor Radley, and hmm. can we call him the game you? Because he's uh, like the lineup I'm looking at. He's wearing the World Nines jersey, and it just reminds me of an Emu's jersey. And it's just I want to call him the Emu because he doesn't belong there. Oh, how have we got to the stage where Clinton Gutherson is one of the twenty best players Australia has? I've got no idea. To the test lineup. You know, I think, and we, I think we were talking about this, might have been earlier today. Um, maybe he's just one of those dudes that's great to be around, hey? Like you get around him because he's been in that World Nines team, and maybe Mal Meninga was around him for a little bit or something, and he was just awesome to have in the squad. He's just a, one of those guys who just makes everyone blend together yeah. and sort of, maybe he is. Yeah, like, and like from all, from everything you hear about him, like he's a really nice person. He's a, he's a good person as well. Oh yeah, uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, but maybe he's just one of those dudes that, you know, he, he bring as you say, he brings everyone together. Maybe we could call him Sellotape. <laughs> or Gorilla Grip. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he, he's, his initials are CG, so maybe we can call him Sellotape Gorilla Grip. There you go. I'm up for that. <laughs> um, yeah, look, this is... Adahingana has, has, will come in and start at halfback. Mm-hmm. Um, not too sure who's replacing. Is he replacing someone there? He has to be. His stags moved out to the... No, sorry, not stags. Um, oh, Tessie Nui. He was the uh, the starting halfback in the last match, so he's been removed to the extended bench for this game. You know what? I think he might have been the fullback, and I feel as though Will Hopewati was playing halves uh, in the last game. That's possible. Yeah, because and look, he they, the young bloke played well, uh, and apparently they the Tongan players were pretty keen to have him come into the test team because how well he played in the World Nine. So like, we got to give this kid more footy. And he mm. did really well. I think that this move is probably the coach protecting him a little bit, which is oh, fine. I've got no problems with yeah, that. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, he's going to have the likes of Boyd Cordner, Tyson Brazil, and Jake Trebojevic running at him. Mm. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to scar the kid for life. 
Nah, nah. <laughs> um, I tell you what, like, it's a really, really good-looking Tongan team. There's it's not going to be an easy game. There's one weak point. Yeah, massively weak. Lola here. Yeah. Now, the, there's no doubt that Lola here is an exciting player. Um, got a lot of skills. The mm-hmm. problem I found with him when he was at the Warriors and at the Tigers is more often than not, he chose the wrong option. And a lot of times when he chose a kick option and it was mm-hmm. off the cuff, no one else knew about it. And so it was a dead play. Mm-hmm. And... When you've got the likes of Tedesco, Adokar, Kotrick, Whiten, and Latrell Mitchell in the back five, you cannot afford to put in dud kicks and not have your backs, your outside backs alert to it because they will just slice you up. Yeah, and, and the other thing is too, I mean, in that game last week, they did beat Great Britain, but their halves were, were just absolutely terrible. Yeah, and that was all down to forwards just absolutely carving up. 100%. It was like just completely their forwards. Even their, and their outside backs, it was just their halves that weren't there. Um, they need to be a thousand times better in this game for Tonga to have any sort of chance. I, I love the look of the Tongan side. They've got so many proven performers. They've got so many players that won't be overawed playing against Australia. They've got, the, I mean, the best you know, player in the world, in my opinion, in their, in that um, Jason Tamalolo, they're coming up against a machine though. And like Australia will grind for 80 minutes and they're going to have to come up with the perfect performance to beat Australia. They do have it in them. Like they showed against Great Britain that they can grind as well, but it's going to be interesting to see how they play against Australia. And it's really going to, I think this game is going to line up what the real rankings are in World Rugby League because if Tonga do better than uh, New Zealand did last year uh, in the last week, sorry, I'm going to say Tonga's the second best team in the world, and depending on how New Zealand goes against Great Britain, you know it's it's going to be very interesting to see um, how when we'll do that at the end of the international season, we'll rank the international teams where we think they should be. And a lot of it is going to depend on what happens this weekend. Absolutely. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Tonga pulls out quite a few late changes in this game. I mean, mm-hmm. look who's on the extended bench. Tavita yeah. Pangai Jr., Joe Ofengawi, Katoni Staggs, Tavita Totola. Yeah, I mean, you've got to bring in you've got to bring in Stags off and Gowie and Pangai Junior, don't you? You just have to. I, I um, find I feel you you got to, especially Pangai Junior. Mm. Uh, God, that kid's be and off and Gowie. I mean, he's proven himself already. Those two alone should definitely be in that seventeen somewhere. Um, so it's going to be a tricky one as to who they drop. So, well, I'm I mean, looking at their starting lineup, I think you're. You probably put Ben Murdoch Masila back to the bench. I also, I wouldn't be shocked if you put Fafita on the bench as well. Um, so that's your, I mean, that's your two forwards. I don't know who you drop off the interchange though. Like, I keep Katoa, I keep uh, Fanua Blake. So uh, you know, Asiata. Asiata though gives you that. He's kind of like Wade Graham. I mean, he can, you know, he's he's a genuine forward. But he yeah. has the 
the playmaking ability to play in the halves. And that is a rare and very valuable commodity. And I don't know if they drop him, especially if, if Lola here gets in a situation where he starts getting punished by the defences. Mm-hmm. Asiata might be able to just be brought in and play at six, knowing that he can defend himself at six and play a lot better there and would be able to help protect Ngano a little bit as well. Um, so I, I think they might keep him there. Yep. Um, Fanua Blake has to stay. The kid, that kid is huge. So it's, it's yeah, it's tough. It's I don't really know what they do there. How about that depth though? Like, yeah, it's brilliant to see. It's unbelievable. Like even you look at, uh, Stags. Who do you drop for Stags? Mm. Like I, I was like, oh yeah, you bring Stags in. Now I'm looking at their back line and I'm like, you know, Conrad Hurrell always plays great for them. I'm not moving Michael Jennings. Him and in, in, in Topu were fantastic last week. I, I, you know, for Satua, I keep him. Like, I just don't know who you drop. Yeah, it's it's tough there. I don't know what they do there. Yeah. So that is going to be... That's going to be a pretty good game, especially in the, the opening half. I yeah. expect there's just going to be... Just an absolute bloody slugfest in the, up the guts of the of the field. Just two yeah. big packs bashing the crap out of one another. And when they bring on Haas and Vaughan, oh my goodness. Ah, uh, it's going to be the best. And, and like, uh, it, you know what? There was a little, there was a while there when Australia just didn't have very good forwards. Now we bring in Payne, Haas and Paul Vaughan off the bench. I think too that, David Fafita was going to be in this side if it hadn't been for that injury, the shock one he got against mm-hmm. uh, France. So imagine they would have had him in the side. Who who were they going to drop for him? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, who do you? I feel like it'd probably have to be, and it'd have to be Wade Graham, but it gives I, you so much utility value. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be dropping away Graham. He's a, he's a definite uh, top 17 for me. It probably would have been Cameron Murray. Probably. I tell you what, Boyd Cordner is the Australian captain, but he's it's it's getting to the point where they need to start thinking about the next Australian captain, I think, because he he's a he's a good player. But the I mean, we're starting to talk about players that are on the bench that I mean, Victor Radley is an Australian-class player, in my opinion. Um, David Fafida is going to be in the team. I mean, he's only a teenager. He's already good enough. Cameron Murray's going to be around for a long time. And I feel as though it's pretty close to where you'd say to Boyd Cordner, man, you're a really good bloke. You're a good captain. You're a good player. But we just can't keep this talent out to keep you in the side. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if Frizzell might, might even get a tap on the shoulder. Um, and not because he's not deserving, but because there's just so many good back rowers coming through. You've got to fit yeah, in somewhere. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. And, like, I tell you what, being at that test last week, it really jumped out at me how much work Tyson Frizzell got through and what a handful he is in attack. Um, you know, he just he's always putting the defence... Because of his ability, like his size is good, but his mobility allows him to keep the defense on the back foot about where he's going to be at when they tackle him. Um, he's a similar style body to Jason Tormalolo. Like he's not bit, tall. Yeah. He's, mm. not, he's not bulky. 
he's sort of got that low, lower center of gravity and just massive leg drive and, and good speed off the mark for a big man. I tell you what, though, Jason Tamalolo, when I was at the World Nines, from the back, when you see, like, he's the widest footballer I've ever seen. <laughs> like, and it's not even close. And so when, like, he was at the at the World Nines, there were some of the moves he was putting on, and I'm sitting there making, like, dead set sex noises as he's putting on steps and put palms and stuff like that. He he has no right to be able to move the way he does, Jason Tamalolo. And, um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic to see this game. This is definitely the game of the weekend. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there is one more game left, and it's going to be on... Uh, it's on Saturday at 4 p.m. in Italy, which will be 2 a.m. Sunday in Australia. Mm-hmm. This is going to be Italy versus Spain. I've got no doubt that we won't be staying up for this game, but tune in to watch our live <laughs> our live podcast when we do anyway. <laughs> we we really should have done one last week when we stayed up for that game. Oh, we missed it. That would have been brilliant, hey? So, who knows? We might do one for this game. So if you're up at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, yeah, just, keep, just an uh, keep an eye out. We might be online doing a live <laughs> show. Because um, I've been saying to, to Freaky for a while now that those games against the teams that you don't usually watch, Italy, Spain, Serbia, things like that, um, you find that you, you'll watch one or two of them. And for some unknown reason, you just go, I want to watch more of that. Mm. Yeah. And I think it comes down to you're watching a, Holy for plays you've never seen before, which means you have you go into that match with zero idea who's going to win. Yeah, and you just sort of like you don't even have a a preconception of what's going to happen. So it's like whatever happens happens, and then when you're watching the game, like everything's interesting. Like what's happening in the background is interesting. What's happening on the sidelines is interesting. Even the bloody last week when we were watching the um, national anthems was interesting. Uh, You know, taking in how the referee controls the game, wondering if he speaks English or not, wondering what language he's talking to the players, all of these interesting little things, and it's all enjoyable. Oh, it really is. It's... um... And then, you know, you even have a mocking laugh about, you know, how long each half goes for. Yeah. So many random things just pop up along the way. Um, it's fantastic. It really Can't speak is. Enough, but I really love it. So that's the international footy wrap. Now, we did have another topic we we're about to get into, but before we get there, just quickly, mm-hmm. I just want to talk about there's, there's a concern. It's not, okay. it's, not, it's not global warming. Yeah. It's not pollution. Yeah, because they're all I've, fake news. Well... It's something else that, that, you know, there's a lot of it around at the moment. Okay. And I'm wondering if it's going to start getting in the way and causing trouble for traffic and stuff like that. And yeah. it's the overabundance of war chests currently hanging around in Sydney. Yeah. There's a lot of war chests, isn't there? there there's there's too many. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there, if there actually will be a war. Well, I, I think the battle lines have been drawn. They're cashed up. They're ready to spend. Um, what else have, have they been said? 
There's, there's good cliches there everywhere. Yeah. War chest, man. Every team's got a war chest. Uh, the Tigers have re- have had Madalino medically retired and they've released Ryan Madison the, mm-hmm. for whatever reason he, he wanted to leave. Um, so they've got some cash. The Dogs have got cash. South have just had Burgess medically retired as well as the English earlier this year. They've got cash. The Broncos have just had Gillette medically retired. So they've got a bit of cash. Yeah. Uh, I feel there's, like there's more dollars than cents. That's nice. <laughs> I was waiting to say that. Yeah. We'll soon find out. Because now that it's November 1, it means that uh, it's pretty much open season for contracts talks and stuff like that. So if you're a player, you're off contract, um, there's war chests everywhere. Don't be afraid to push, push your price up a bit. You'll probably get what you want. Yeah, you got to start uh, getting your names out there. In some interesting moves are being talked about. Uh, we'll probably do a, a, a little bit of a, a podcast about it this week as well, because some of these moves will have happened by then. But what do you think about um, Milford? Talk about him going to the Tigers. Do you think he'd be like? Let's let's not talk so much about the fact that a lot of players are linked to the Tigers. Let's pretend that they're really. <laughs> going after Milford, all right? So we're, we're pretending that this is genuine. Yeah, yeah. I And, you know, I know we're going into science fiction right now, but... <laughs> well, this what is... is this, if, if, if Milford came to the Tigers... Yeah, yeah. Uh, year one, 2020, he's fullback. Yes. That's that's down pat. Um, year two, I dare say he moves into the halves. I don't know what the I Tigers agree. do for a fullback. But uh, that's probably what's going to happen because by year, by in twenty twenty one, all of those expensive contracts the Tigers have got that are you know on players sitting in reserve grade and injured and whatnot, mm-hmm. they'll have all ended. Yeah, and the Tigers yeah. will have yet another war chest next year, and it will be bigger than this year's war chest. Is that even possible? <laughs> um, yeah, it might be two I- war chests. You know what? If they did get Milford, it would be, and we talked a bit about when uh, they were going after DWZ, Milford would be a player that would be a genuine athlete in their team. Um, so that would be interesting. That would be a bit of a change. But, yeah, he yeah. definitely would have to be their fullback next year. And I think he'd be a a really good, like, he'd make them dangerous. Can you imagine him, Benji Marshall, using him in the back line? Like, it'd give them a lot of attack. It would be good. The other thing, too, is that knowing that he'd be moving into the halves with a genuine seven next mm. to him, unlike the garbage that he's been served up with Seabold this year. Yeah. Where he had a fullback next to him in Darius Boyd and just other five-eights next to him, like um, you know, Nick Arima and the like. He'll actually have a genuine seven who knows the system in and out and knows his game back to front. Um, takes a lot of pressure off off Milford if he was to play there, so yeah, it it would be a, a good move. Yep, but the Tigers fan in me knows that he's not coming to the club. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good signing for the for the Bulldogs. Yeah, Tigers, I dare say, right now are probably into the eleventh hour of talks with Pat Richards because <laughs> you know our goal kicking was bad this year. To be fair to Pat Richards, have you seen the kickoffs he does? Uh, amazing. Are, they're amazing. Oh, In, they're innovative. So, yeah. 
Never uh, been seen before, ever. That's right. And uh, I dare say, if Scandalous hasn't been spoken to, Ray Cashmere probably is. Yeah, he'd be a good addition. He'd be a starch um, up front. You know what they need more of, though, is they need some some undersized forwards that are very mobile, but definitely undersized. And I think that if they could get either some some back, like some wingers that maybe should be forwards or some wingers that look built like accountants. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of their bread and butter. Yeah, like so the John I, Wilson type. Yeah, oh, Johnny White Leagues. I think they've yeah. got a few of those already. In, I think they've got a big production line of those out the back already. Yeah, they're never short of players like that, hey? No, no, no. So I think they'll be right there. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, no. Um, with this Warchester Tigers have got, they yeah. strongly need to consider buying a hooker. And Danny Levi's off contract. Yeah. He may, he may not be, you know, Robbie Farrer or an exciting sort of ball player or things like that. But yeah. he's a he's a damn good defender. He's yep. a good distributor from dummy half. Yep. Um, and he's off contract. And he wouldn't cost an arm and a leg either. And the Tigers need someone because at the moment, Jacob Little is injured again long term. Yep. They need someone who can cover for him because even if Little gets fit and back on the field, uh-huh. he's suffered so many injuries that you need to have a genuine NRL player as backup to him. Because yeah, I don't I don't think at this stage he's played an 80-minute game yet, and he's been playing for four years, I think. Yeah, and at what point do you say, like, as much as they want him to be their hooker, at what point do you say, we can't do this? Yeah, like, there's going to come a time when you go, you know what, we've, we, we've got to say at some point that business is business, and yeah. we have to be assholes. Um, yep. Sorry, Jacob. You've had to, you're just too injury prone. Maybe they can yeah. medically retire him. Who knows? Seems to be the going trend at the moment. Yeah, everyone's been medically retired. It's funny. I I told this to you before. I got a message on uh, on uh, one of the posts I put on um, Facebook, and I'd said that the number of medical retirements had gone through the roof all of a sudden. And somebody said, "Oh, have you got any stats to back it up?" And I said, "Like." How about the fact that three players in two days had been medically retired? Is that not enough? Apparently exactly. it wasn't. Now, the other big news this week. Mm-hmm. Peter Volandi's had his press conference. Yes, his first day in the job as the chairman of all of Australian Rugby League. Yes, and I was I was initially a bit underwhelmed with, mm-hmm. with what he said. Not yeah. angered or anything like that. I'm not sitting there, I'm not death riding or anything like that. Um, like a lot of people tend to do whenever we get a CEO or anything like that around. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it was me being a little bit hopeful. I kind of, I was kind of hoping to hear something different yeah. from the head of the game and not, not hear a combination of Daily Telegraph rhetoric and a little bit of Peter Beattie mixed into it. I kind of wanted something different from all of that. Someone who was just going to say, I'm leading this ship. This is what we're going to do. And just go out and do it. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted somebody to come in and, like, I, I was, I'm was i done with politicians, and I think you need someone that's headstrong running the game, and I was hoping it would be this dude. But from from listening to that press conference, I'm not hopeful. No, neither am I. So to start with, he had a, uh, 
a seven point plan. Yes, and I've I've listened to it three times now, mm-hmm. and I still haven't heard the seventh point. So it's a seven point six point plan. Yep. Um, so the first one was secure the revenues of our game. Sixty percent of it comes from broadcasting deals. I'm fine with that. That makes great sense. Um, Number two was something about footprint. You said footprint five times. Footprint, the uh, the game's footprint, and and I I, like we've talked a lot about this, so there'll be ground we're covering again. But um, they love the word footprint because it lets them not expand the game. So they say, oh, we've got such a footprint. We're playing games in Darwin and and this place and that place. And they bring that up the footprint when people ask them about expansion. Yeah, so that's what happened. And this is the one that comes across sound like very Peter Beattie-like because um, Landis has said we're only at the very beginning of, you know, looking at expansion. And I swear Peter Beattie said that at the start of his tenure as the ARLC chairman. And I wonder if we're still at the very start after all this time, Mm. what have we been doing? Yeah. Just making footprints, is that it? It must be. because And Peter Beattie on his way out, he did this big thing about like, oh, you know what, we should have had an expansion. Well, it'd be great to have expansion clubs in in uh you know in uh queensland and one in perth and stuff and it's like dude you literally were just in the job where you could have made that happen and you didn't like to, and i john uh what's his name john the dude that was before peter Beatty. grant john grant yeah he did the same thing like he talked a really good game when he left but did nothing while he was there um and so yeah it's like when I heard Volandis talking about, well, we're probably, you know, a few months away from sitting down and talking about expansion, it's like, what do you do? Because, that, like, if I was put on that board, that ARL board, all you would get me talking about is expanding the NRL and making it a national rugby league. Like, yeah. they're the head of the Australian Rugby League, that Australian Rugby League Commission, they're for all of Australian Rugby League, not just the East Coast. That's right. Uh, fully agree. Um, we need a Perth team ASAP. Um, just for the and, TV time slot, hey? Yeah, exactly. And so what they should do is just say, you know what, they don't have to go public with it. Just make up their mind going, right, we need a team in Perth. So mm-hmm. let's let's go get down to business of getting Perth set up for an NRL team. Instead mm-hmm. of just worrying about footprints, actually go over there and get right involved and have a deadline of say, I don't know, one, two years to say, right, we can decide now whether we're going to go with Perth or not. Yeah. And and like pull the trigger and do it. I don't know why they're hesitant and whether it's just trying to line up with the TV rights deal or what it is. But if, if it's to do with the rights deal, I think it'd be wiser to have a Perth team in the comp for one season, at least before the next rights deal comes around. So you can say, this is what we're doing before the Perth team came along. This is what we're doing now. So this is our trajectory, and this is how we want even more money this time around this deal, and we've got reason for it because you can see it here. Um, whereas if they wait until after, it's just going to be another rights deal that's going to be you know, similar-ish to the current one. It'll be more, obviously, but I just feel that 
you could make it a lot more if you get a get that Perth team in before the next deal comes around. Yeah, I agree. And I like they've it's not like they haven't spent time doing work over there. Like Perth create Perth itself already creates NRL talent. And we've played the state of origin there. We're playing a world uh not a world nines, we're playing the NRL nines in Perth next year. Um, they've got a brand new stadium, like everything's ready to go. And when people turn up next year at the NRL nines, in an ideal world, they turn up and they're getting free flags from the NRL team that's been announced that they're going to get, you know, announce that, announce that they're getting it. Just do it. Announce yeah. the name of the team and everything. Just give me a, give me an hour or two just to buy the uh, website address for it, but announce <laughs> it all. And let's make it happen. Like, we don't need another committee meeting. We don't need another panel. We don't need another, you know, exploratory, whatever buzzword you want to come up with. Just put a fucking team in Perth. Footprint. Um, Footprint, moving forward. Just stop with the fucking political shit and do something. It's a good buzzword, though, footprint. I like Um, mine. Fucking stop being a bunch of cunts. That's the buzzword now. You're being cunts. Yeah, ARL cunts. Right. Get a team in Perth. You're cunts. <laughs> um, point number three was strengthen country rugby league and grassroots and make it the major game in the area. Now, I fully agree with this. I think this is a great idea. Yep. How they go about it is going to be interesting because um, I feel... Rugby league is a long way behind the uh, the eight ball in some country areas, and AFL was quick to come in and, and move into those areas when they saw that opportunity. Um, so it's that's going to take a lot of time and effort and money. Uh, so I'm I'm glad that they're looking at this. It makes sense to do this because you know we've had so many great players come from the country it makes sense to to get back involved in that area again. And country and rugby league in the country just seems to go hand in hand. It was one of the biggest sports in that area for you know, decades. So I don't think it would take too long to get the game going there again. So I, I'm okay with that. It's just, I, I don't know. I literally can't help them when it comes to trying to figure out how they tackle it how they approach it and how they get around all this because there's a lot of work that needs to be done and in a lot of different ways. Like each each country group just in New South Wales has its own unique problems and a lot of them aren't even related to the sport. Some could be, you know, drought, um, population shrinking, there's just no jobs in the area, that sort of thing. Um, so that makes it really difficult. So I don't know how they get around a lot of those issues and how they fix a lot of those problems. So... Um, Kudos for wanting to do something about it, but that's uh, just an absolute minefield. Um, but yeah, I'll be watching how how they go about that because I I am actually generally excited about how the, about the fact they're interested in, in tackling that issue. You know what worries me about it is it's it's almost like the rugby league version of virtue signalling, saying that you want country rugby league to be stronger. Yeah, like he sort of just said it. It's like. I want country rugby league to be stronger. Thank you. Thank you. Like, yeah. what, how? But how? 
in what way? As you say, like they've got a lot of problems in the country just in general. How are you going to make it stronger? You got a, a plan? You can do something, or you're just going to say you'd like it to be stronger. And this is the problem I have with these people. Like they say stuff, sounds great, but they do nothing. Yeah, it's, I, I, I really because this this is the first time I've actually heard someone on the you know who runs the ARLC or runs the NRL actually speak at length about wanting to do something there. So part of me is hopeful, you know, the country boy in me is hopeful that this time they're going to have a crack at it and see what they can do. I don't know. As I said, I don't know how they go about it, but mm. um, I'll, I'll be supportive on that one when they get it going. Yeah, um, like, I mean, you, you're you from the country. You've actually seen this shit, right? Like, you know what you're talking about. Peter Volandi's like, he's from Wollongong, you know? Well, uh, according to some people, that's country. <laughs> yeah, if, idiots, <laughs> you know? It's like when they had the country team and they would name people from Gosford. It was so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. I'm, um, I'm, I'm angry at administrators. Can you tell that? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Number four. This is why was... I don't get free jerseys. <laughs> Maybe that's the point seven. Um, number four, <laughs> participation. He's going on about multiculturalism and, and a story about he had when he first came to Australia as a four-year-old and how he turned to rugby league and it helped him and something about how it probably stopped him from going to jail or something like that. I don't know what that was about. I think that's um, what we laughed at, hey, when, we, when he said that. Oh, well, I just, I, I didn't, I couldn't track the point he was trying to make yeah. with that story yeah. um, and why he's talking about multiculturalism i think multiculturalism in rugby league is pretty pretty expansive and pretty obvious yeah it's pretty good i i often wonder though because sydney is a it's very much an asian city right and i wonder if we do enough to connect with uh people from a chinese background and, and uh, different Asian backgrounds, and we do to a certain extent, but I think in those areas we could do better. Um, but for the most part, we do pretty good. Like that, that's the only area that I could think of where you could look at your current footprint ugh, and say, like, can we do a little bit better? Are there sections of the community that we're not getting? as much out of as other sections of the community. Well, but that's that's about it. That's all I could come up with because for, as for the most part, we do a really good job in rugby league, as you said. I'd ask, which football code, other than probably soccer, I guess, has, you know, is, is more multicultural than rugby league in Australia? Soccer would be the only one because soccer generally is a, is a, is a world game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, every country's pretty much playing soccer. But I don't know that the that the other codes, in all honesty, are as multicultural as rugby league is. No, I mean at the other end of the scale, it's gotta be like cricket and then AFL, right? Well that's that's what I'd think. Yeah. And even cricket's starting to, to change in that way is a fair bit too. Yeah. Um so yeah, but participation, yeah, definitely. I've, I've 
that's that's an obvious one for me. That's that's a definite no brainer. We need to be always focusing on participation, making sure the numbers are good and they're growing, obviously, because that's good for the future of the game. Um, point number five. I'm still unsure about this one. Venues. He wants mm-hmm. to strengthen suburban grounds. Um, mm-hmm. said that well, they got a two billion dollar grant from the New South Wales government to upgrade stadiums. Um, very firm. He said it's not enough. And they want to get more. And fair enough. Um, I'm just... I The historian in me loves suburban grounds. Yeah. But the realist in me also says that that's not where the future of the game is. Like, you could put two or $300 million into Leichhardt or Brookvale or Cogra Oval. Mm. And it's still going to essentially hold the same number of people. And still have the same uh, limitations they have. Yeah, and logistical issues. Yeah. Like, and, and there's some of these grounds I've been to for the first time this year. Crogger was one of them. Couldn't believe the lack of parking. And I was going to, during a New South Wales Cup game where there was only a few thousand people there and there was no parking. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest issue that a lot of these suburban grounds have is parking is poor. So I'd like to see what well, what I think they should focus on is not all suburban grounds. Pick yep. pick a few. Yeah, yeah, I and, agree. And the first one I'd be picking is um and I'm not saying this because I go for the club, but Campbelltown. Because it's Western Sydney, they've got a soccer team out there. Yeah. Why not why not put a massive big mega stadium at Campbelltown? and have the soccer team, and have the West Tigers play out of their full time, and make that thing a magnificent stadium, not just an upgraded version of the, the current Campbelltown one. Make it something like Bankwest. Yeah, and, like, look, I think that looking at the footprint of the game, right, the footprint, looking at the You love that buzzword, game, haven't you? Here we were criticising it. You, you've really taken that buzzword on, on board. Moving forward, Andrew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that if I had to pick places where I think that you could put stadiums to be done for NRL in Sydney, I would pick Campbelltown, first of all, and I would work and I through all of this. I'm always working with the A-League in, in every single move that I do here. I'd have, I'd have Campbelltown, number one. Um, I think Penrith, number two. Um, and I, the other one is I would have a new stadium on the North shore somewhere. I don't think I'd have it at Brookvale because Brookvale has logistical issues. I would look to find somewhere where there was enough, uh, transport infrastructure and it's difficult in the North of Sydney transport infrastructure. Um, I, I want a train station nearby. I want plenty of parking. And I would build a stadium there. And and I've said this before. I would literally take the Parramatta Eels Stadium model, which costs $350 million, and I would dead set copy and paste it into these other areas. And if I could save $100 bucks by not having a roof, I would be willing to do that if that's the the cost of getting it there. Um, And I think if we did that in rugby league, Every everyone's pretty much covered. Uh, you know, you're going to have a, a st- I, you know, Cogra is it's it's not good enough. People don't want that anymore. 
And I know a lot of people get misty-eyed at these old stadiums. But when you sit in a place like Bankwest Stadium, it's just, it's not even the same experience. It's like, it's a better view than watching on TV. And it doesn't matter where you sit. And there's plenty of toilets. There's there's so many places to eat and get a feed. The lines aren't big. And that should just be the minimum standard for a rugby league game because we want to get people to the games. And if we want to get people to the games, we've got to make it comfortable for them. And, you know, saying, well, we're going to play a game at Cogra Oval and all of the facilities suck and you might not get parking anywhere near the stadium and you're going to have to make sure that you don't park in someone's driveway. That's absolutely ridiculous for a major sport in 2019 to have to look at. You know, we've got to aim higher. And the other thing to look at is you go through the teams now that have big, beautiful stadiums to play out of. Now the number that don't is dwindling pretty quickly. And that's going to become a financial concern for the clubs that that don't have that big new stadium to play out of. And it's going to hurt them in the long run. Yeah, I agree. It's it's something that um, we should be looking at yeah, those, those suburban grounds should be something that you go to for a novelty game, like the Bulldogs do at Belmore. Yeah. You know, you have one game, you have a retro round, you go back and you play at one of those grand old grounds and, you know, everyone gets all misty-eyed and loves it, and that's sort of it. Um, I, that's how I'd use those grounds. We should be looking at having big stadiums everywhere and try and, you know, you want to have the best experience ever for players, and you're not going to be able to put state-of-the-art facilities in at Cogra or Leichhardt or, or Brookvale, no matter how much you love them. Um, they're just not designed that way. So. No, and there's some places where they're lucky. They can... Yeah, I, I Like, I look at Penrith Footy Stadium. They're a bit lucky. They've got a little bit of land there that they can work with. They're pretty well situated in, in Penrith. They've got a, a bit of parking around there. Um, you know, they're a little bit lucky in that sense. Cogra's got nowhere to go. There's no place to move. There's no wiggle room. And we need to look to the future. You know, we need to look at where we want rugby league to be in 50 years' time. We know that in 50 years from now, if Bankwest Stadium does not change one shred, it will still be one of the premier rugby league places in all of Australia, just by viewing angles and everything. Um, That's what you want to build. You want to build something that lasts and something that, you can look forward and say, you know what? If I book a ticket for the 2035 season at Parramatta Stadium, I know that I'm going to get an amazing football experience. That's what you need. Exactly. The other problem they've got there is obviously they need to get more funding from the the state government. And I I wonder if the state government would be a little bit more apprehensive about doing that given some of the backlash they got in, in the public over the money that they spent on the SFS and, and ANZ getting upgrades and all rebuilt even. So yeah. that might that might be a hurdle that they can't overcome either because, you know, politicians by nature will do whatever's popular so that they get re-elected. And I tell you, sorry, go on. No, you're right. It's it's just uh, I, they, they get scared whenever they get a bit of pushback. I feel like a lot of that, though, was just... Uh, it was a small minority of people making a lot of noise. I think for the most part, people didn't really mind too much because the money was there to be spent. 
and we we did need those facilities in Sydney. Um, the other thing I think you've got going for you, especially in Penrith and Campbelltown, is that the rugby league is very important to those areas. And, you know, there's... I feel like Penrith's going to get a lot of money spent on it in a similar way that Parramatta has over the last 10 to 15 years. I think that money is going to come towards Penrith a lot because of where the airport is. Um, and Campbelltown will get some of that offflow as well. And I think that that could play into it as well. Um, so we'll see what happens. But, I mean, that's that's perfect. That's best-case scenario sort of thing where you'd get a Bankwest sort of stadium at Campbelltown and Penrith. They're going to have more problems with the North Shore of Sydney because it is not going to play as well politically there. Yeah. The, I think the only way it's going to happen at Campbelltown is the West Tigers need to bite the bullet and say, we need to spend one season where we play 10 of our games at Campbelltown to show to the state government that, yeah, this is going to be our new home, build us a new stadium, and then make it their permanent home. Well, here's, uh, here's, a, going to work. here's a question for you, and you're a Balmain supporter. If the West Tigers said, look, we will get, let's just make it a 25,000-seat stadium, like, uh, you know, the one they've got, a, it's kind of the style of the Gosford Stadium, but bigger. If they said we can get that, but we have to commit fully to Campbelltown and we have to give up Leichhardt for good, like never go back, would you be up for that? Yep. Okay. It makes sense. I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter about, you know, the fact I like Bowman and stuff like when I was younger. The fact is common sense moving forward. The juniors and the growth is all in that MacArthur, Campbelltown district. It's not in Bowman. And mm. so... Yeah, they need to start going, you know what? We need to dedicate ourselves to this Campbelltown region. Yeah. Um, 20 years, they've been playing across this split market. And in 20 years, they've played in three final series and have one premiership victory. Yeah. It's, it's clearly not effective. It's clearly not working. So, yeah, I'd say at this stage, if I was running, I'd say, right, we need to pick one way or the other. And to, to be honest, the smartest option... Everything points towards Campbelltown being the smarter option because there's just, you know, there's new homes being built out there still. People are still moving out there because it's where a lot of the cheaper homes are. It's going to be a, a large population of young people coming through there um, and they'll keep coming through that area. Whereas you're not going to get much population growth in the Balmain area. It's pretty much what it is now. It's going to be, you know, stable like that forever. Yeah. And like when you're, in that area, you're not that far from the SFS and you're not that far from Parramatta Stadium. Um, you're a long way from Campbelltown, though, to be fair. The other thing about Campbelltown is there's a lot of places where, like, say you didn't want to be at the current stadium. There's a lot of places you could find on, on the drive down there or around that area where you could put, you could have all the room in the world to build a stadium, um, parking, whatever the hell you wanted. And, you know, I, I just think that there's a lot of opportunity down in that area. It's going to be, a like in 50 years from now, it's going to be a very sizable part of what we call Sydney. Oh, yeah. And, it, it, you know, the Tigers would be mad. Because I, I wouldn't be shocked if... If another Sydney club, if they got into some financial trouble, 
made that move themselves and said, look, we've got a whole, we can stay in Sydney and take this whole area and say, look, this is ours now. Well, the Bulldogs are probably the one that would be, would take it. Yeah. And they might, they might even just base themselves at Liverpool and, and sort of not be too far away from that Belmore region, but still be close enough to the MacArthur region to sort of tap into that. So, yeah, you know, that's, that would be the biggest threat there. Um, yeah. Thankfully, West Ashfield are pretty smart operators, so I don't think they're going to go bust anytime soon. No, no. Um, point six is... And last point of the seven points. <laughs> yes. Uh, innovation. Make the game less predictable. We're in the entertainment sector and market. We need to innovate the game. Now, I do have an issue with this, and I don't think that the game is actually that predictable. It's no. been... The last two or three years, we've had possibly three of the closest seasons we've ever had in the game's history. Mm-hmm. Um, the salary cap is is working. We've only got two teams that, for the best part of you know the NRL era, have been pretty much up there around the top of the ladder the whole time, and that's the Roosters in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and Melbourne obviously had a fair bit of support from, from New Zealand for a long time when they were around. And then had a, a gift run with a great coach and a, a gift run of great players who came through and they hung on to the majority of them for quite a while, um, which gave them a lot of their success. Um, the Roosters have just had, you know, Uncle Nick's cash, which that always helps. Yeah. Um, the Broncos would have been one, but they've really fallen away in the last few years. Um, they're still they're still one of the richest clubs. They're obviously in one of the strongest ones, but you know, results wise, they've fallen away a little bit. But yeah, that's other than that, the other there's thirteen other clubs and they've all had a number of cracks at the you know, at playing in grand finals. Yep. Um, winning premierships. It's if you ask me what a predictable competition is, I'd say the English Super League. Yeah. Four yeah, premiers since nineteen ninety six and only five since the mid eighties. Yeah. That's predictable. We don't have that in the NRL. We've got a very, very good open competition. So I don't see... I get worried when they talk about innovation. So do I, because I really like where rugby league's at right now in terms of the way the game's played, because I think that it allows different styles of play. It allows different um, ideas it, 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 there's enough scope there where if you have a certain sort of lineup, you can change your game plan and play to that lineup strengths. Um, you know, it's the first time we've had back-to-back premiers since the early nineties. That's anything but predictable. Like it's the opposite of predictable. No, I fully agree. So, um, I'm a little bit, tentative about that one i i don't want to see too much change going on because i i think sometimes people can try and you know redesign things that don't need it yeah and i think we're in a situation now where all the game needs is occasional tweaking it doesn't need big change or innovation i also think there's a there's a mindset of like we need to innovate. We need to make the game exciting. And it's like, I want somebody that's running this game. Says, you know what? 
we have the best sport in the world. I'm really confident that when people see rugby league and they see what we have and they see what we offer as a sport, that they will jump aboard and we're going to sell them rugby league. I don't want somebody that's coming in and saying, well, you know what? We need to, we need to put on a show. It's like, no, the show is the rugby league. That's what people turn up to watch. They don't care about any of the other shit to be quite honest with you. You know, they might, you might get a lot of noise and stuff about who plays at halftime in the grand final entertainment or whatever. But to be honest with you, we're all only here for the rugby league. And if you didn't play the rugby league, there'd be no one. So don't think that you've got to fucking change the wheel. You know, it, it, that worries me. Yeah, it worries me too. So um, I hope they don't go silly with that. No, they can stop at the light up um, goalposts. I like that. I've always said about that. Hey, I think I've yeah. got an article from about 10 years ago that says when did the goalposts lighten up when they kick goals? Um, but yeah, you don't need to tart it up. It's a great sport. It is. Now, he had a few other comments here, uh, two that stick out, which we'll have a quick chat about. Uh, first one about referees, and yeah. these are his quotes. To be frank, we need to improve our refereeing. That's our single biggest problem at the moment. You can't have fans walking away thinking they've been ripped off, so we need to fix our systems and do whatever we can that the fan walks away happy and content that they've had a fair crack and not walk away that he's been ripped off. We're doing a lot of work at the moment in the refereeing department to do things better. We've got a number of reports, and they're pretty harsh. They've gone to every length about the refereeing and the judiciary, and the next few months we'll make some announcements in that regard. It was a great year for rugby league. The only thing that let us down was some of the decisions. And I I can't agree with that. Like You're always going to have issues with referees making mistakes. They're humans. But... I don't think refereeing is the single biggest problem in the game. Not even close. Not even not even close. How could he and say that? The only fans who are walking away feeling ripped off are the ones that were made up by whoever the Daily Telegraph journals are, you know, running crisis merchant stories. What were their names? Rose and... I yeah, those it. people. Yeah. Yeah. That- the, made them up. The made up something, about, something about their showers and shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the um, only people that, that leave a game and they're blaming referees are fucking idiots. I tend to agree. Um, furthermore, I don't think there's been that big a drop-off in either crowd figures or... Jesus Christ, what is that? Oh, shit. Is there a plane landing on you? No, just take a break from this uh, podcast for a sec. Where we, um, where I am, the flight path between the the airport and the military base goes pretty close to where we are. Okay, and so sometimes you get military helicopters and stuff will move uh, from one to the other. Yeah, and they go quite low, but that was quite loud. Blackhawk helicopters are loud as fuck. Yes, uh, and they always do it late at night, usually around midnight. Really? Yeah. Wow. So there we go. Um, I don't know where we're at. Uh, Something about referees. Anyway. um, (laughs) Look, it's... 
I for once I'd like to hear someone involved in either the NRL or the RLC, preferably both, actually be properly supportive of the referees. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, they do defend them. But to me, it kind of feels like they don't they don't go all out in defending them. Like they they've they sort of do it in a gently gently manner. Like they're trying to make sure that they don't piss off anyone who you know does read the mainstream media and are crisis merchants. They they want to seem like they're they're trying to you know pander to those people as well. Oh, look, there are a few things we need to tinker with and blah 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 blah. blah. You don't need to talk about it. Just do it all back of house. Exactly. And, you know, don't, on your second day in the job, you don't come out and say that's the biggest problem you've got. Like, it just isn't. It would, they need somebody that's running the game that says, hey, referees are humans. They make mistakes. But you know what? They're pretty damn good at their job. In fact, they're experts. They love this game. We back the referees. And supporters need to start looking at some of the issues that their own clubs have and the mistakes that their own clubs and players make and focus on them rather than the referees. And somebody needs to have the balls to stand up and say that and know that they're going to get attacked by the mainstream media, but that that common sense will reach through to people. Because when you're running the game and you're the head of the game, you do set a certain standard for the game in that role and the standard shouldn't be bashing referees it should be elsewhere yeah this is this is the problem is the referees have got when when the head of the arlc is having to dig at them like this the referees have clearly got no support from anyone and that's not a good place for anyone to be in um the other thing is he said that he prefers the one referee system, but he is outvoted by the other ARLC members, so it's probably not likely to change, and he would Good. be likely to support, you know, what the majority vote is. Yeah. Um, so kudos for having a bit of credibility there, but one referee system, um, there's a reason why we don't have it anymore. Just think about that. Exactly. Um, the next one was about Israel Folau. Yes, and inclusiveness. This is just this is just weird. Anyway, there is no path to the NRL for Falau after these comments, uh, after the comments that he made on social media earlier in the year. Uh, Valandis has said, the game is inclusive. The comments of Israel Falau are not inclusive. Agreed, they're not. Um, Israel has to understand he is a role model. As a role model, he has a duty. When I was at school, the kids used to get bashed up because they were different. I used to go and defend them. Here, Israel Folau is different, and he's getting bashed up. Anyway, um, I have no tolerance for people who put other people's lives into violence or whatever. I, Israel didn't do that. Um, with due respect to Israel, what he says, young kids listen to, he is a role model, they act on it. When you are at school and you get bashed up because you were different, I don't think that is a good thing. Rugby league is inclusive, so I'm not in any way reversing or looking at the decision of Israel Folau. I don't know why he's talking about school and being bashed up. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of kids who are devout Catholics mm. who would probably have the same views as Israel Folau. Mm. And I'd argue that there are players who are playing in the NRL who have done more damaging stuff 
to the game's image than what Israel Folau has done with one tweet of a picture with words in it. And I'll say this, I don't agree with anything that Israel Folau believes in or has said mm-hmm. relating to his religion. I don't care for any of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't feel threatened or like I'm going to get bashed up. Um, I think he's entitled to it. The game doesn't need to hire a whole of people who have the same beliefs as them. They're just going to say, if he wants to believe that, that's fine. We don't agree with it. Move on. As I said in an episode ages ago, Ryan Stig was uh, playing for Newcastle, and he'd only played a handful of games, but he did something similar. And the game just immediately said, that's his view, we don't agree with it. And everyone just moved on. The fact that no one remembers him or that incident shows you how effective that approach is to this. You look at the way Rugby Australia's handled it, and you can see the vast difference in taking a hardline approach against that sort of thing. Because there's, if you take a hardline approach against someone expressing their religious beliefs, there will be no winners because there'll always be people out there who support the player and there'll be people out there who support the, the competition, their decision. It's going to be something where there'll always be division and it will just last forever and it'll linger forever. But if you just let people have their beliefs and just say, that's not what we believe in, everyone just moves on because there's nothing there's nothing left to talk about. Yeah, and, you know, it's pretty funny to have somebody talking about, well, we're an inclusive sport so we're excluding him for what he believes in. It, it kind of, it, it's it's yeah. the opposite of what he's actually saying, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're the same. We're like, what he said was stupid on social media, right? But to have the head of the ARL sitting there and saying, well, what he posted on Instagram can lead to violence. Dude, you are now the head of a game that literally has people playing at the highest levels who have committed actual violence on other individuals, you know, and you don't have to imagine it. You don't have to think it might be something they said causes it. They've done it with their fists. Mm -hmm. So what about those people? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. You know what they really don't want? You know what they really fucking don't want? They just don't want to have to clean up the PR mess that happens if they sign Israel Folau up to a club and he posts another stupid meme on his fucking Instagram. They don't want to do the PR smother. That's what they don't want. They should just come out and say it. Yeah. They should say, our PR people have said not to allow Israel Folau to play because they're not paid that much money to smother over more bullshit. If they said that, I think everyone would be like, well, at least he's telling the truth. Exactly. Exactly. And that that's all it comes down to. It's just, yeah. Ad, admin. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> it's just admin. admin. Get, get, I tell you what, they just ring us up, right? They get us in to do the PR for Rugby League. And and so we, instead of Graham Annesley, I'm sorry, Graham, we're taking over your PowerPoint presentation. And we go up on a Monday, and when people say, what about the referee? What are, and we just put up a PowerPoint slide that says, shut up, you whinging cunts. And then we, we say, that's the end of the presentation. Thank you for joining us. And then Graham Madison can come in and just do a replay of it all with his little pointer and his, his, yeah. his slide screens and stuff. I hope that they buy him a laser pointer, hey? 
I think I'm ready for Graham Annesley, but it would have to be a red one, kind of like the Sith in Star Wars. It can't be a green one because he's not he's not the good guy here. He's the bad guy. He's bad in the rest. I think what he needs is he needs an upgrade to a laser pointer. But yeah. the only way the laser pointer is going to work is if he gets a downgrade to a an old school slide projector. Yeah. That's because otherwise, one. otherwise the red dot thing is just going to, it's just, it may not work on those high def screens because there's a lot of colors on there. They're very bold and bright. The red, the red little thing might go missing, but on that misty foggy looking, you know, screen thing they pull down, that yeah. red dot's going to stand out like a fucking beacon. What? Okay. Here's an idea. What if we give him that, you know, the, the, the whiteboard thing, it's not a board, but it's like that material you'll pull down from the roof it's like yeah, a blind yeah. right yeah, screen, big screen thing yeah 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 and he has his overhead projector he has a laser pointer but it's super powerful so as he's pointed at it it's actually cutting out holes in the thing and <laughs> by the time he cuts out enough of it and it all just falls down burning on the ground that's when he has to stop that's so he gets his time is. yeah and he like he can be smart about it. He can only use it in t- certain moments if he wants to. But when it's on the ground and it's burning, he has to stop talking. Yeah, when the fire extinguishers come in, that, that's the end of the show. Yeah, that would be fucking great. I'd watch that. I was thinking of getting him a laser pointer where the dot, instead of it being really tiny, is like, is like the size of a Coke can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see here, he's put into touch and just go bang, and then you go. The red light just comes and just hides the whole player. Isn't that just called a torch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you want a red torch. Yeah, a red torch, a red torch. Uh, uh, get him a get him one that's got a nice girthy beam. Is what he's saying. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. a solid, consistent girth about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing that tapers or anything. Uh, you want it to be girthy right the way through it. Um, exactly. That would be pretty funny. The other white thing you could do is, like, if he has a laser pointer and, like, his laser pointer and stuff, and all of a sudden Todd Greenberg comes up and he's fucking starts scratching it where the dot is. And he just thinks, he's just like, oh, look at him. He's like a little cat. <laughs> and he just had a little bit of smoke come off the top of his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, what's going on there? <laughs> Another band-aid for type to sport on his uh, on his head as he goes out to another morning tea. Yeah, that'd be good. More morning teas. What happened to your head, Todd? Oh, Graham and his laser pointer again. <sighs> Bloody laser pointing me. <laughs> you need to wear a hat with mirrors on it. <laughs> That'd go down well. You look it like really a disco would. Ball. I'd like to see. I'd like to see Todd Greenberg in a hat. Have you ever seen him in a hat? Nah, he needs to get around a trucker's cap. But, okay, how about this? Did I tell you about the dream I had last night? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. All right. I had this weird-ass dream. Can you imagine Todd Greenberg doesn't say anything, but next year, first day, bang, turns up in like a cowboy hat. Doesn't mention it, though. And just and wears people, it for the rest of the year. Yeah, just sports a cowboy hat, like a, a proper one, too. And... When people say, oh, tell us, what's going on with the hat, Todd? And he's just like, oh, I love rugby league. It's such a great sport. Yeah, just completely cut it off. Yeah. And every, every time he answers a question, just doff the tip of his hat to the person who asked the question and go to the next one. Oh, anytime, anytime, anytime one of the female journos asks him a question, he, 
he tips his hat and he goes, my lady. <laughs> my lady. Actually, instead of a cowboy hat, how about a top hat? Because we don't see top hats anymore in society. And I'd like to know when that happened and why. That's a good question. Have you ever seen those old videos from like the nine? They'll say like this is 1920s uh, Sydney and you look mm-hmm. at them and they're all dressed really nice. Like everyone's dressed in a suit and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a good question when that went out the window. I've got another question for you. Why did people start wearing top hats? That was probably just the, the done thing to do to look proper and upper class. But can you this imagine? Would have been all would have been all um, determined by people wanting to look better than the class they're in. But like the first dude that wore a top hat, people must have been like, "Damn, he's gone gangster with it." And like he must have had like a normal hat. And he was like, "What if I added like a foot to the top of his hat?" And he actually had the balls to wear it. Yeah. Could you pull off a top hat? Me? Yeah. Um. Uh, nah, probably not. Because I don't actually wear hats at the best of times. I don't know. Nah, so I suppose... I wear, I wear a baseball who, cap, like a well, footy I suppose, cap. I suppose to people who don't, who haven't seen me getting around, if I was to get around a top hat, they'd probably look at me and go, well, there's a weirdo. <laughs> but then they just move on. I guess the but, other thing would be you'd, uh, you'd, your hat would be like about six foot eight at the top of it, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make sure the thing's tall. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be hiding shit in there too, like boogie boards and whatnot. Um, but I don't know if it'd be if I'd look weirder than the bloke who I saw on the train during the week who brought his push mower onto the train. What? Yeah, he just casually walked up to the train station with his push mower, his yeah. Victor lawnmower, and yeah. just took it onto the train. I wonder just... if he had to buy a ticket for it. No, well, I don't think so. The thing is, he's, uh... I mean, I, I looked at him, I didn't think, what a weirdo. I think, hmm, I've never seen one taking their lawnmower for a walk before. Yeah, gangster. Can you imagine how much he wants to get away from his wife where he's like, I'm just taking the mower for a walk. <laughs> we we have a dog, George. Yeah, the dog gets plenty of walks. So I feel that the mower's getting neglected. I'll just take it to a, a quick trip on the train just into the city just so I can see what it's like where there's no grass. <laughs> or he's like, walks the dog so much. He's like, you walked the dog earlier. He's like, I'll take the mower then. <laughs> Maybe he's got a special relationship with his mower, like he gets into the into the centre of Melbourne, he finds a park there, and then he's like sitting down and it's like, Why do birds suddenly appear? And he's just <laughs> sitting there on the grass with his lawnmower having a picnic with it. <laughs> on a picnic blanket. Yeah, yeah. They're having like something to eat. He feeds it grass, stuff like that. It spits it out. Yeah. <laughs> He wipes its, what do they call it? The the problem we get, though, is if he was to take a lawnmower into the city of Melbourne, yeah, he'd likely get run down and, and harangued by a group of protesters in there. Yeah, that are all, all for the environment as they well, stop the traffic. It doesn't matter what they're for. We get, we get protesters every, every day here now for all sorts of things. I think there was someone protesting about the colour of bibs on babies last week. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> protest anything these days. Um, shoelaces not being the right length. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be a protest, I think, next next Friday. I think they're lining up for that one. 
So if you've got something you want to protest about, just just let people know and just tell them to come down to, to Flinders Street Station in Melbourne and stage it there and just hold up the traffic. It's fantastic yeah. fun. It's good fun. It's a nice day out for the kids. Yeah, here you go. Have a quick protest. Piss off everyone. Get on the news. Go home. Yeah, then get jump in. Then jump in your car. Tweet That's about right. it. Yeah, and then uh, pick up some mackers. Absolutely, yeah, it's good. It's a good yeah. day out. It certainly is great fun for the family. You ever gone to a protest? Me? Yeah. Uh no. Yeah, neither have I. I'm too lazy. Yeah, can't. Yeah, can't be fucked. Someone says you want to come to the protest? I go. Yeah, nah. I watch uh, I... it on TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm there in spirit. Yeah. Yeah, go. Oh, I need to go have another drink. Exactly. <laughs> Spirit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, uh, man, that has been another thorough, lengthy episode. Yep. Hope you've all enjoyed it. Um, if you want to get in touch with the podcast on Twitter, you can go to uh, Fergo Freak Pod. Uh, if you've got any questions or um, praise you want to give us, you can either give give the praise on the uh, on your podcasting app, preferably iTunes, and we'll read them out. Or um, you can drop us an email at podcast at leaguefreak.com. Did we read out the last one we got? Uh, I don't think so. Read it out. It was a good one. Let me find that sucker. It's... um. It only came, I think it came the day after the last episode came out. From memory, yeah. Okay, it was from... Actually, we've got another one. Oh, really? Is it good? I do. So I only seven... read the good ones. That's the deal. We only read the good ones. So 7 underscore PK, whoever you are, uh, said, Love the constant content. Great podcast, guys. Love the multiple episodes per week. You two are easy to listen to and straight to the point on all things rugby league. Well done. That's right. And Andy M73 has put one in from a couple of days ago. Oh, nice. Um, Prolific podcast. It's the off-season, but Andrew Ferguson and the Glorious League Freak are still pumping out these great rugby league podcasts at two or three a week. Great work, guys, even though it's sometimes hard to keep up. The history podcasts are always interesting, too. Nice. So. Thank you to both of you. That was fantastic. And brilliant. Yeah. It's so nice to get uh, nice replies or reviews like that. Um, yeah. i tell you something we're doing. We're, we're setting up a Fergo and the Freak website, and what we will have is a section where it will just have all of the history podcasts in it. So if you like the history podcast, you'll be able to find them all in one place. So working on that, that should be ready to rock and roll within the next couple of weeks. Sweet. We, would we be able to put on there all of those great um, bits of feedback too? Yeah, we would be able to, yeah. There's a Sweet. way to do that. Right, we'll yeah. chuck them on there. They, that way your um, your great comments to us will be forever enshrined on in more than one place. Mm, that would be cool, eh? We're turning you into social yeah, social media... Um, Influencers. Influencers. Yeah. How's that? That would be nice. Maybe you'll get a free jersey. Maybe. Mm. So, on that uh, exciting note, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we will catch us all next time.